Veteran Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And hello, gardening friends. Yay, what beautiful weather we are enduring at the moment with this wonderful, much-needed rain for us in our gardens. I hope you're enjoying it. You can call us anytime, starting from right now on 94841927. We're with you till 10 a.m. We encourage you to get your calls in early. We can spend a lot more time with you rather than bottle necking in that last 10 minutes. And you can email us, of course, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. When you call through today, you're speaking with Bev Daring. We've also got John Glidden here today assisting us as he as he does so very, very well. And a big shout out to the clever, witty Ellen Simons for the breakfast tunes this morning. And he was supported by John Gannon. Thanks for getting up and doing that, John. Very, very uh, appreciated by, by all. And uh, our cycling DJ, Jim Crinan, for his update just now. Jim will return next week. Faye Cara, how are you? Very good, Ray. We've got an exciting morning planned. <laughs> Yet again. Yes. The Tell the listeners. Hey. Well, we are joined today by Ian McGregor, who is going to talk all about elephants' ears. And no, this is not a zoo program. That is <laughs> Sometimes another name. it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's another name for alocasias. Mm. And there have been many of these for sale around mm. the place. They have beautiful big leaves. They come in a range of colours and patterns. Mm. But their nemesis can be winter. And if you don't know how to look after them, you might uh, think that they're not doing too well. But you might think they're dying. We want to pre-warn <laughs> you and tell you how, they're to, not dying. how to nurse them through. But wait, there's more. Mm. Latest news is that Costa Georgiadis is flying west and he is going to be telling us all about what he's up to Whilst this morning here. at 20 past eight. I get lots of updates from him every day. You know, it'll be Costa is alive. Oh, no, I mean live. And he'll be popping up on Facebook all Hope over he's the place alive, yeah. <laughs> doing Zoom meetings. The other day it was all about botanic gardens, mm. uh, endangered plants, rare and small. And yeah, that would there be was, interesting. he was talking about the, the native orchids and how they're pollinated by fungus gnats. So everyone out there who curses fungus gnats. And we do. Mm. <laughs> these little guys have a really important purpose. So just wanted to put that on the radar for you all. And he, they were also talking about the, the largest inflorescence in the world, which, of course, is the Titan Arum and how they've got it to flower in the Botanic Gardens glasshouse in South Australia. So very interesting. And you can catch these uh, live Zoom interviews later just by going to Costa's page or if you check on the Let's Talk Gardening page, I've shared the You've post shared there. the link? Mm. Okay, wonderful. So... 
Costa is chatting with us this morning, obviously about the Kalamunda Garden Festival, which is happening Sunday week. So that's May the 22nd between 9 and 2 at Sturt Park in Kalamunda. Now, there's 140 specialty stores. This is a huge event. And, of course, Costa's going to be there. So he'll have all his fans <laughs> sort of hanging off him, the poor man. But we're very fortunate to be having a chat with him at 20 past 8 this morning. So 10 minutes' time, we'll be having a chat with the man. And what, he, a, what, what a wonderful... energy is I know, infectious. So it is. I wish he you... is just everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could you imagine just spending time with someone like that and how it would rub off on you? Yeah. Well, you just sit back Where does, and... it, where does he get it all from? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's amazing. So. Well, he, he does so many good things, Ray, and I think, I think that probably feeds him. He can see that joy reflected back to him. Mm. He's he... quite an intellectual um, being as well. Oh. You know, he's so highly, highly intelligent. Mm. And down My to observation. earth. Yeah, as so well. He, he canvasses... All genre. He does. He mm. does. Amazing man. So we're very fortunate that he's spending a few minutes with, with us, us today. absolutely. And so we do look forward to Ian McGregor joining us in the studio from eight forty and talking about all things around Alacacias. Have you got any Ray? I do have a few. Yeah, I do. Of and course I, I do. Yes, and I have one from you. The leaf is now yeah. how big is this? 50 centimetres at least by probably 30 to 40 yeah and I've just planted one out into the garden it's it's pupping and I've given one to Bev and yeah you've got to have good space a good position for them for the Mm. ones that grow really really big I have the black one as well yeah I have him so there's a a tarot yeah that is black Mm. and I think there is another uh, black velvet or yeah. oh, there's yeah. so many and the prices of them recently. I think one of the hardware stores was selling one for was it three hundred dollars? Oh, truly, mm. yeah, some extraordinary. Cost. Well, everything has gone up so much. Please don't tell me that plants are going up as well. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> along they with probably our will. Um, you know, really, what goes into growing plants I and agree. of course the risks, the mm. the weather conditions that we have. Uh, if there's too much water, like in the eastern states, if there's mm. not enough water, mm-hmm. uh, if if your sprinkler system breaks down at an inopportune time when you're you've taken your eye off the ball, mm. you know the summer was really harsh for us. So oh, tell me, long mm. and hot, and last winter we yeah had... I wouldn't want to be a grower for quids. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So yes, appreciate that and support well, our do. local businesses. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 94841927. I've got a couple of emails to crack through. We have. We have. Uh, Let's do it. Good morning, gardening team. Thank you very much for your reply last Saturday to my questions regarding pruning the geisha girls and other plants. Looking forward to listening to you again this coming Saturday. Regards from Yang in success. Oh, thank you. Because, you know, when one person asks a question, many other people will benefit as well because indeed yes. whatever is happening in your garden is happening in someone else's and you know if you wander around at the moment there is so much in flower the colors are popping there's a lot of contrast it's just beautiful out there looking at the even close up of flowers with raindrops on them or the grass trees and the birds yeah, are out there loving it a little bit closer to nature this time of the year autumn is 
um, as everyone will know, my absolute favourite time of the year. This is, to me, is absolute heaven. Well, when I walked out the door this morning, the sky was actually clear. Mm. Everything was glistening, glistening. with raindrops. Exactly. It was fresh but not cold because exactly. there's it's rain not, around. It's not cold. Yeah. And it's it's a great time to get out with your brolly and gumboots and go for a walk. Oh, my goodness, yes. No, loving it. <laughs> the gardens are loving it too. And also Mary has offered us part one and part two of Flora of the Perth region, published by the West Australian Herbarium, Department of Agriculture, and the editors are Neville Marchant and Judy Wheeler. She said these are large volumes and would be ideal as reference books. If you're interested, we can drop them into curtain. That is a lovely offer, Mary, and I I think we would be happy to accept that, wouldn't we, Ray? Yeah, absolutely. That would be wonderful. And we could actually leave them here. Yeah, why not? And then others could share them as well. Mm. So that would be wonderful. That's lovely. Thank you, Mary. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That's very nice. Uh, Now, Ray, you know, because of the rains, Mm -hmm. Uh, things are popping popping up. up all around the place. And I have a printed version here of the free fungi field guide that is available from the the Facebook fungi group, Western Australian Fungi, but also the Naturalists site. And it was put together by Neil Bowger, um, amongst other people. Uh, in the front, it's got Western Australian Naturalist Club. And this has got hundreds of photos and mm. names So where did you get fungi. that? It's it's a free, free online field guide, but I have it, have it printed because every year when fungi pops up, so you can carry it with you. Well, what, no, I just leave. It? I take the photos on my phone, and but rather than flick through pages and pages, just come back to home phone. and then sit there and yes, I, that's what I do at night. Them. I'll go through the images, and they're popping up everywhere at mm. the moment. Of course, once you get into fungi. Yeah. You'll sometimes find slime moulds, mm. which are just touched on in this publication. Mm. There's strawberry slime mould, mm. there's dog vomit slime yep. mould, yep. and they're fascinating. They creep along the ground, and when they they begin to fruit, they actually change form. Mm. And then uh, but that goes on further to another step. Once the, the sporocarps, I think it is, disperse you're left with a skeleton and that's actually how they identify them so currently the skeleton the the skeleton of the structure of the fruiting body Mm. so karina knight is a research associate with the herbarium Mm. and she is studying slime molds and we will be getting her on the show probably next month to talk about them she is fascinated by them and just last week she told me that she has submitted 14 of my specimens to the herbarium. So when you have fine specimens in your property, on your property, how do you actually remove them and get them to her? Well, she came and... She removes them? ...taught me last year. No, I've learnt how to do it. So really, I I pack up uh, a basket of gear, so something like a Chinese takeaway container... Yes. ...with some moistened paper towel in it, uh, moistened by... Rainwater because mm. you don't want any, or, or distilled water actually, I think is the best thing. So that stays moist. So when we find slime mold, there's a, a couple of ways you might find it. If your eyes are really clued in, you might see a jelly type look. 
that uh, spreads out in a coral pattern. So mm. it, it very does pretty. actually move. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it can be bright yellow, but very often it just looks gelatinous, so you might not see it. It will be in very dark, damp wood and close to the ground. And so then it, it progresses, and when conditions are right, it climbs and it wants to dry out, and then it fruits. So I would take a little disc of bark, uh, if that's not possible. Well, if I take a little disc of bark with the specimen, being careful not to remove it, I put it into the takeaway container and put the lid on, and that becomes a moist chamber. So then I take that inside and put it on my kitchen bench and monitor it daily for changes yeah. and photograph the different stages. Okay, and then you send the... Well, then I, I send her photos of oh, what I found. I um, oh, it, there, there was a lady that lived around the corner or had a property around the corner and she discovered around 80 recorded specimens. So I use that as my list to tick off and I've added a few to that that mm. weren't on her list. And uh, I think we're over 20 now mm. found on our property. So we've, we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. But it's exciting. And I put all my finds on iNaturalist mm -hmm. and I now have 698 species of different From your property on iNaturalist. That is plants and fungi and slime mm -hmm. molds and insects and birds and reptiles out of over 2,000 observations that That's I've a lot of work. There. That's a lot of work. Well, you should I've be been, a scientist, Faye. I've been doing... Mm. I haven't got time, right? <laughs> but I've been doing it for years since... I know. You know, we, we moved there and I discovered rainbow bee eaters that I'd never cross, yes. come across before. And as I go down deeper and deeper, the deeper you go down, the more you realise that's there. And then like the other mm. day, joining the dots, finding out that fungus gnats are the ones that pollinate my terrastylus orchids, of which I probably have five different types. There's a jug orchid, um, green hoods, snail orchids. You know, it's it's just amazing. On that June, everything has a purpose. Well, most things maybe. Well, they have their own purpose. They have a way. Things need to survive, and they often use or depend on other things. Um, so I see they won't all have a purpose for us, but that you know we're not mm, the I most important yeah, no, thing I didn't, on this I didn't planet. necessarily mean for us. Yeah, mm. but just in in the ecological. Well, world. Uh, I guess that's an interesting question. Mm. Um, on Monday, I gave a talk at the Probus Group at the Lake Karanup Country Club. Oh, lovely. My eat, pray, love talk. So mm. I think there's a few people listening today. Convert? Have you converted? Well, some of them said they, they will be looking closer and others thought twice about using insecticides. So mm. my work is done. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're in Willerton. Bev, good morning. Oh, good morning. It's uh, Bev speaking. Yes. Um, I have a Maya lemon tree, which isn't very old, I suppose oh, 18 months old, and a lot of the leaves are turning yellow. Um, some of the sort of, I suppose you call them branches, it's not a very high tree at the moment. Some of the lower branches, the leaves are nice and green, but most of the top ones are all turning yellow. Is there something I can do about it? Are they in a pot or in the ground, Bev? It's in the ground. Okay. And was the soil well improved? Yes, 
Yes, and I've been using uh, trace elements and fertiliser, you name it, <laughs> everything. Okay, all right. So if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that I recommend a slow or controlled-release fertiliser mm-hmm. uh, at different times of the year, predominantly autumn and, again, spring. Mm-hmm. But um, that will deliver a lot of the, the trace elements that the plant needs. Now, yellowing right. can be oh, quite a few things. Older leaves will turn yellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there is yellow between the veins, that can mm-hmm. be a pH of the soil issue. Mm-hmm. Citrus have very shallow roots, so they they can be quite affected by disturbance around them. Right. Uh, or or their roots drying out or something being spilt on them or fertiliser burn. Oh, so, okay. So if you, well, not so much the controlled release fertiliser, but if you used a granule fer, a granular fertiliser and applied it to the soil, if there wasn't mulch, it could burn the roots on the top. So, right. you know, blood and bone would do the same thing if it was over-applied. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> to, I think to, I've... I've put um, organic sheep manure around it. Mm, okay. And that that shouldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. I know when I've done that, I'm usually adding it on top of a layer that's already there so it's not yeah. in contact with directly with nutrients. And sometimes okay. if there's urine in the sheep manure, then, you know, it could have that sort of effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I think at this time of year, with the weather cooling, they should mm-hmm. be looking pretty good at the moment. It it hasn't been too cold. Mm-hmm. I would give it a layer of mulch mm-hmm. and maybe something like uh, seaweed or fish products and you yep. could mix that up in a watering can and pour that over the leaves. Okay. Oh, over the leaves. Okay. But the funny thing is that they've been like, when I first planted it, um, it lost all its leaves. And I thought, oh, oh, here's another one that's Mm. gone because I'm having a lot of trouble trying to get these things to grow, Uh, you know, the uh, the citrus things. Um, And I thought, oh, it's it's gone. And then all of a sudden, all these lovely new Mm. leaves came and it looked really lovely. And then, as I said, it's no more than about a metre and a half height would be at the max. And um, then all these ones started to turn yellow, except for the new branches, if you could call them that, that have sprung out from the bottom. Mm, They're all okay. nice and green. We might have to come back to that, Bev. Um, mm-hmm. Just just check the roots. I think it's more about something going on in the soil because it's not okay. really normal that okay. uh, trees would drop all their leaves when they're first planted. It, it oh, might be okay. a water issue. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. get plenty of water. <laughs> Because <laughs> mm. mm. I've got a bore, so yeah. Oh well, I will try the mulch and the seaweed and see what happens. Okay. Good luck, babe. Right. Thank you. I'll Bye. Cheers for Bye. that. We'll be Bye. back shortly. It's 26 minutes after eight already. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. We're just trying to get Costa Georgiadis up online, as you would appreciate. Busy boy, so mm. we'll keep trying. So talking about the lemon tree, yeah, right? we've been for, for the plant to lose all its leaves when it went into the ground. Yeah, yes, it's transplant shock, but why? Why? So if it's mm. been in a pot for a while, we know that pots can get 
uh, quite root bound mm. and water repellent. Yeah. So one thing that that gardeners could do that would benefit any plant before it goes into the ground at any time of year is to put it into a bucket yeah. soaked uh, with with a solution of, of seaweed or fish. You know, they're mm. both natural. They both um, give the plant a boost without pushing it into fertiliser mode. And by putting it in a bucket, you can see the bubbles come mm. out mm. because the air is coming out and the water is actually getting into the root zone. So soaking it in a bucket and letting it really permeate what's in the pot yeah. before you plant before it in the Before it goes you into know, the Because once you put something in the ground, if you've got dry pockets in that root ball, it's probably not going to change when it goes into the ground. No. You can, you can water it, but as we know, water can just go right through, right mm. past it. Do we want air pockets in our plants in the root system or not? <laughs> Good question. I know. You know, a bit it, it can be beneficial. Yeah. Uh, but if you've got ants in a pot, ants can actually air prune roots as well. So there's good and bad. You know, it can still work, but, but putting it in a bucket and soaking it will give your plant the best chance to get started. And it will flush out anything that shouldn't be there. In there. Yeah, mm. exactly. Because sometimes there are... There are things there, you know. There's the um, curl grubs or yeah. scarab beetle love. Mm. They're not always bad, you mm. know. They, they, some of them don't eat a lot. And you know what, folks? They ain't all black beetles. I have to say, no. you know, our Christmas beetles look the same. And unless you're an entomologist mm. with a microscope. Sorry, but you can't tell the difference. Mm. <laughs> it frustrates me a little bit when, when we see a, a curl grub picture and someone goes, oh, it's black beetle, you know, go and poison the lawn. Mm. No. Why mm. do you think we don't see Christmas beetles at Christmas anymore? Because mm. everyone's nuking the life out taken of out their them. ground. Yeah, no. Okay, we're just, just reading Bev's message there. Okay, we're just still waiting to get uh, Costa up online. So we will uh, carry on. I have... A $75 gift voucher to give away. And I think I'll give it away now, you know, from okay. Bigger Trees. Why not? What do you think? Um, thanks to Kerry, of course, at Fabulous Bigger Trees up there in uh, Pickering Brook. Would you, so would you like to go shopping with 75 bucks in your pocket? Oh, yes, Must please. be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Of course, Bigger Trees is the Frangipani and Ornamental Tree Specialist. And right now, if you were to go to Bigger Trees, you're going to see some beautiful autumn foliage and uh, flowers on their camellias are starting already. And she says she's got beautiful grevilleas and kangaroo paws looking great. And uh, as I mentioned last week, they've got the large, they have a lot of larger trees, mature trees there as well. So that's always very, very uh, handy if you are like me and you want instant garden and you don't have time to sit around waiting for something to grow. She had a lot of mature uh, stock there and the azaleas are also showing beautiful flowers as well so biggertrees.com.au here is your question and you can thank john for this because it is a little bit curly uh, faye will like this question 80 percent of earth's species are insects and 60 percent of insects are of one group which group is that 
I'll mention it again. 80% of Earth's species are insects and 60% of insects are of one group. Which group is that? Sort of been talking a little bit this morning, kind of a little bit of a hint there in uh, some of Faye's uh, conversation mm. prior to Mike mentioning this. Give uh, Bev a call now on 94841927. Grab yourself a $75 gift voucher to spend up at Bigger Trees. Good luck. Go to it. Carry on. Okay. Now we have another email here from Barbara, and she has sent in a photo of a gorgeous shrub, ornamental shrub, with yellow candlesticks. Ah, and this yeah. Is it's the, so pretty, right? It is beautiful. Senna Didymobotria. How's that for a name? It's the peanut butter cassia and, or candelabra tree, popcorn senna, African senna. It's native to Africa and the, the foliage smells like peanut butter. So there you yeah. go. Yeah, I know it as the candelabra. Ah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. So pretty, so brilliant. I love yellow. It really pops. Well, that's stunning, isn't it? Yellow and it looks like it's got black tops. So yeah. that's like the candle and the wick, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's absolutely beautiful. So no, well done on uh, IDing that for, the, for her. Mm. And... Uh, Rosemary has sent in a photo. She spotted this stunning insect on my west wall. I keep checking to see if it opened the wings, but it wasn't performing for me. I'd love to know the name, please. Sadly, it disappeared this morning. The pic doesn't show the brilliance of the colouring. Have a lovely day. There are a lot of these out at the moment. With all the rain, we would see a lot of rain moths, but I'm pretty sure this is one of the tiger moths. Mm -hmm. And... Rosemary, I don't know if you know, but this is a pair of tiger moths making more. <laughs> <laughs> right. They are back to back, oh. so to speak. Oh, I see. So mm. they're, they're very pretty. They are very pretty, love the, yes. Love the... And, you know, moths are amazing. When I, I've learnt that when I walk through the bush, mm. that anything that is small and brown and flies is not to be ignored mm. simply because you don't know until you look up close that it could be the mo have the most beautiful wings. Mm. Their wings are gorgeous, yeah. Mm. So, yes, keep looking. Okay. Okay. As promised, we have tracked down Costa Georgiadis, famous for so so many gardening uh, interests, but certainly Gardening Australia. Uh, I hope you were all tuned in last night. Costa, you're with Ray and Faye. Good morning. Hello, Ray. Hello, Faye. How are you both? Sorry for the. Um, we found you. Sorry, sorry for being <laughs> a, a bit obscure. I was in the yeah. middle. Of a, of a live broadcast with um, the Sanford Edible Garden Trail up here in Brisbane. And I was doing this interview with the local scouts who have been doing planting with the local land care of the bush corridor that backs onto the, the scout um, land who have since given a corner of that land to the building of a community garden from the funds raised by the Sanford Edible Garden Trail and talking to these children about this area that they planted out last year for so 12 mm. months and there's all these local native species that are like three meters tall now and oh, wow. they got it 
they, 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 the children got it, and I, yeah. I was explaining this connection, and yeah, and the videographer who was videoing, she's going, this number kept coming up on the phone, and she <laughs> said, I figured it was an interview. I go, oh, that's right, I've got to speak. Well, I, I know, and I just said, well, I'm not surprised, because I know you won't just be sitting around waiting to talk exactly. to us. You'll be in the middle of something else, and you Always. just go, yes, I can talk to them, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am, I tell you, I am so super excited to be coming back to your part of the world and um you know the energy and excitement around samford uh sorry um um calamunda <laughs> yes you're coming to calamunda costa when are you coming yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> um so i'm coming over actually i'm coming over on wednesday because i'm going to be doing a couple of stories for gardening australia which funny that is, is yes wonderful for thursday friday yes and then i'll be at at um at Kalamunda on Sunday and and uh, man, 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 uh, Mundaring, Mundaring Farmers Market on Saturday morning. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Oh, you're you're busy. What are the stories you're here in Perth for? Uh, one of them is one of them is a uh, um, there's a, a wonderful story around uh, Millie Formby, who is a shorebird officer. And she's going to fly around Australia in her microlight, basically her powered hang glider. Gosh. And over six months, she's going to make 90 stops and visit schools and libraries and educate around the importance of shorebirds and the importance of every wetland in every local area. And uh, we're going to go down to the Peel, is it the Peel wetlands down yes. near Mandurah? Yes. Yeah, we're going to go down there and film with some of the ecologists down there, as well as speak to Millie and talk about her, her project. And mm. then um, we're catching up with one of my favourite West Australians, Peggy. Oh, um, yes. And we're going to uh, visit her. I did a story on her way back um, when I first started with Gardening Australia. I visited her, her garden and her verge garden, and she talked about the, the amazing environmental education that she does. So um, I'm catching up with Peg to see what she's up to and, and hear about all of the initiatives and the, the, the wonderful work that she's doing in educating around the big picture of environment. Oh, that's amazing. Great stories. Oh, yeah, look, it, it's so nice. Like someone like that and then someone like Millie and, and I know that these ecologists that we're going to meet and these bird life um, people we're going to meet, you know, like us gardeners and all of your gardening listeners, they just love what they do, and yes. there's something about being around those people. And when when people say to me, "Oh, but you're away every weekend," that, that, that's not tiring. Because no, these people fill me up. Like yeah. they, they fill me with that yeah. excitement and energy, and to see the glean in the eyes of these mm. children when you get to spend some time with them here today and reflect on what they've done and how that fits in the big picture. Like it's such a privilege. It is. It, we understand 100%. Tell us, what what will you be doing at the Kalamunda Garden Festival next Sunday, well, Sunday week? I think, first of all, um, that that uh, that sneaky little gnome is going to be out and about doing um, a nature walk with the children. Cost of the Garden Gnome is going to be out and about. Uh-huh. And uh, I'll be uh, doing a nature walk and getting them to create some nature art in and around the park some ephemeral nature art using the ingredients that nature uh, drops on the ground. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Um, I'll be doing uh, three different talks 
about uh, different aspects of gardening, inviting inviting wildlife into your garden, connecting with food growing, and then I think a big I think the third topic just off the top of my head is more about um, uh, connecting connecting the the bit the big bigger picture dots around the importance of pollination and habitat. Um, and then, of course, I'll be spending time wandering around and just meeting all of these, all of the local stallholders. And wow. that's what I really love about these events is that it's a chance to showcase that there's good folk doing amazing things locally. And at this time where where things are, uh, have kind of, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment, but I think one of the biggest certainties we can do is support local business For sure. and help create you, you know, help create pathways and employment opportunities and business connections and uh, all of that side of community um, with with everyone within the community and say, look, look at these people. They're doing amazing stuff. So yeah. I can't wait to meet all the stallholders and just see what they're doing. Oh, and, yeah. well, Costra, um, about 140 of them. Yeah, I can tell you Andrew <laughs> is absolutely pumped. The number grow. This mm. is the biggest event on the gardening calendar this year 140 stalls and yes for Perth for Perth that's a lot yeah. well it is isn't it <laughs> no it's amazing small businesses and and people that we know and yes awesome yeah it's it's and it it's kind of one of those things on Andrew and Mandy um they they got massive hearts and when when it couldn't happen last year and and it was locked down and they asked me if I'd you know, jump online and do something. It's just an, it's a no contest. It's a no brainer because they're, they're doing it out of that, that space, like such a, such a pure space of just getting the community together and realizing it's more than just the sum of the parts. Like that could be 147 parts of, you know, stalls on the ground, but that's reaching across so well, every aspect of the community. Mm. So to come and help, help pedal, that that bicycle a little. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get on from eight o'clock until four. You, o'clock I'm going to pedal that bike, you know. Just, just as well, you've it. got the energy. <laughs> and are you live on the the Samford Edible Garden Trail today, Costa? Yeah, yeah. What 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 we're doing is because because it had to be cancelled, uh, postponed. Because since I got here on Wednesday in Brisbane, it. Seriously, it hasn't stopped raining. And, and I don't mean, like, yeah. I mean that. Like, mm. it, it has not stopped. The ground is so soaked. Like, there's mm. no way you could get, like, after two people walk on the ground, you'd destroy a garden, let mm. alone 200 or 300. So they've postponed it. But what we're doing with the, with the organising committee is we've got a little bit of a program where we're just going to a few gardens. We've taken a bit of a theme and we're, we're doing some live broadcasts. So this one that I just finished was with, the the scouts, the local land care, and one garden that backs onto the open space corridor, and we got to speak to speak to the, these three different groups and sort of say, tell us a bit about it, show us your project, and um, yeah, we're going to be doing live broadcasts until uh, just across the day, and then in the afternoon there's there'll be a live Q and A panel with some of the local um, food growers to talk about the challenges that they face and particularly when you think about what we're looking into in terms of food and food prices and the challenges of food supply over the, the next period. Yes. Uh, it's a wonderful 
it has significance for everyone. It's not just that that's not that panel will not just be Sanford and Brisbane um, oriented. It'll actually be it's really nationally significant in terms of the 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 looking forward and the future of our food system. Oh, I know, and I've I've seen you do these live broadcasts, and it's just amazing to watch what other people are doing in their gardens to get inspired and and to showcase yes. the this wonderful work. We really look forward to seeing, seeing you, you next week. week. Mm-hmm. We'll be in the crowd. Yes, we will. We'll be part part of your fan club. We'll be there. Oh well, look, you know, since since I first came over, I, I've I've so enjoyed the relationship that we've had to be able to come on and, and chat to you both and to the audience. And, um, you know, the work the work that you're doing is, is critical in getting messages out there and making these connections for people to follow things and meet other groups and follow their pages and their websites and, and, and get information. And, and that's, really, that's really what it's about. And the, the Calamunda Garden Festival is putting all these wonderful groups in front of people and businesses in front of people that you know many mightn't even know about so it's it's yes. going to be uh, I'm pumped about next weekend I, I, <laughs> I think I could fly over there with my Brisbane umbrella at the moment I'm, I'm yeah. so excited and I can't wait to see you well pace yourself Costa it's going to be a big <laughs> yeah. week and we look forward yeah. to next weekend take care and thank you you too too alright all the best we'll see you soon take see care ya. cheers with that bye Lol. Okay, that was Costa Georgiadis, ABC Gardening Australia. And you are with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. We've been joined in the studio, as promised, by Ian McGregor from Water Garden Life. Ian, good morning. Good morning. How are you all today? Get you nice and close to that microphone, Squire. Don't, you can have a little tweak there of it if you like and uh, make it, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Hey, Ray. Hey, we, yes. We have a winner. Of our $75 gift voucher. Yeah, we all got a bit caught up then, didn't we? So we have Zena from Secret Harbour. Congrats to you, Zena. Your voucher will be in the mail to you this week. And the question was, 80% of Earth's species are insects and 60% of insects are of one group. Which group is that? The answer is beetles. And John pointed out that if you got all the insects together, there would be uh, a big line and every second insect would be a beetle yeah, every amazing. second yeah 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 how prominent are they <laughs> they they rule the world <laughs> lovely to have you here ian my pleasure and today we're talking about elephants ears and yep. i did say to the listeners it, we're not in a zoo um elephants ears of course are the name for alocasias yes. or, amongst other amongst things amongst others yeah ah so I've noticed recently there have been quite a, an influx of elephant ears or alocasias popping up in nurseries and yes. quite cheap some of yes, them yes. Uh, and quite expensive others. And I looked at mine this week because I know with it getting colder, mm. I have to start shuffling them around. And I know one in particular, Amazonica, has to come inside in the winter mm-hmm. because it starts to go off. And I thought, well, a lot of other people would would not know that and right. perhaps lose them. Yes. So, yep. so Ian, tell us 
Tell us all about them. Tell what okay, do we well, need tonight? Uh, alocasias are um, are closely related to colocasias and xanthosomas and caladiums. Oh. So they're all ah. similarly related. Okay. Um, and with alocasias, we've got quite a diverse genus with a broad distribution uh, through Asia. Um, and there's quite a few subgroups that have different requirements. Um, the one that uh, we're probably focusing on today is the things that they've nicknamed jewel as alocasias. So they're um, black velvet and dragon scales, the, the real plasticky looking guys. Um, they're all lithophytes that, that come from sort of rocky hillsides in, uh, in Thailand. Uh, Borneo is quite famous for them as well. Uh, and they certainly proved to be difficult to cultivate. They're quite finicky. With those guys, they all come from tropical equatorial parts of the world, so they cannot hate, take cold, and mm. certainly under 15 degrees Celsius is bad news for them. Right. Mm. Well, we're on the brink, aren't we? Are we are getting there now. Yeah. Okay. Now, when people buy them, the other thing is that a lot of them, I've noticed, are in just coir. Mm -hmm. How does that work? It works quite okay when they're, they're kept at high humidity and uh, warm all the time. In all honesty, to for best results, I'd probably want to repot them into a very free-draining mix um, because as soon as that temperature cools down and those roots are continuously wet, yes. that's when trouble really kicks off. Yes. Right, so that's Makes the sense. first point, listeners. You've got your plant home. You need to repot it. You probably can't buy a commercial mix that suits that plant? Would I be uh, right? Even a cactus and succulent mix would, okay. would probably would be suffice. quite suitable. Yeah. Okay. Um, adding things like uh, lime chips or shell grit to um, buffer the calcium in the mix is quite important. Um, things like perlite, vermiculite and charcoal would also be very important and mm. uh, and very recommended. So and, a cactus mix with the addition yeah. of others. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a small amount of peat to hold a bit of water but you almost want to be able to hold your potting mix uh, in a pot and pour a cup of water straight through it. Okay. So uh, they have come from a very... They don't really grow in soil in habitat. They'll grow in little pockets of humus on top of limestone. So uh, it's, it's quite an unusual habitat that they've fulfilled. So having said that, they don't need a lot of water. Do you let them dry out? That's the tricky thing. Yeah, it is. So during what we would consider our growing season for these guys during the summer, you can water them freely and regularly. It's this time of the season when mm. plants and habitat would not be getting rain uh, is when we need to start cutting off the water for these guys. Uh, and it wouldn't be a disaster for these things to drop all their leaves in that situation, uh, understanding that they probably want to go dormant and be a bulb over the course of the dry right. season. So if we're watching our leaves turn brown, uh, do we give it any water or do we just put it away and forget about it? If, if leaves are turning brown and showing signs of rot, no water at all. Okay. Let them, let them continue to dry. Uh, remove any rot that is easily taken off, you know, leaves and stuff that yeah. and stems that are rotting. Take them off, let that thing dry out a little bit. Um, the when I was really crazy for growing these things, I used to recycle the potting mix quite regularly, and I'd have alocasias popping up all over the oh. place because the little yeah. bulbs that they make when they do go to sleep um, are, are quite small and uh, and easily missed, and uh, yeah, pop up everywhere afterwards. The following not season, not such a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's probably a good idea to let these things go dormant 
keep the pot dry um, and um, wait for that bulb to be ready for the next growing season. Okay. Mm. Very good. All right. Time for a break. We'll be back in a moment. And the 9 o'clock news is coming up shortly. And we're back. Special guest in the studio with us this morning, Ian McGregor. We're talking about all things allocations. Mm. So where's the best position in a house for allocations, Ian? Um, Certainly out of the wind. They hate windy areas, drafty areas. Mm. Um, Because they've got those big leaves, the wind can really catch them and throw them around. Um, and again, if it's cold wind, they're going to hate the chill. So uh, keep them out of that. How uh, much light do they still require? They, they certainly won't take full sun in Perth at no. all. Um, and even a quite dim room will, would suit them quite nicely. Okay. Uh, uh, near a window, certainly not on the on the north side of the no. house, but um, uh, a south side or the east side would, would suit them quite nicely. Um, we want to keep them warm. We want to keep them um, out of the breeze. Uh, we want to keep the spider mite off them. That's huge indoors. It's a big, big problem for them. Um, and uh, things like uh, giving them a mist every day or so with a, with a, just a little spray bottle will help a lot. Uh, and that way you can keep the plant hydrated mm. without wetting the soil. So uh, we stop them from drying out simply by giving them a mist, not actually watering them. Because I guess where they're growing around rocks, uh, if they're not getting rainfall... A lot of other countries have a, a very humid environment, so that moisture is in the air. Yeah. And a lot of plants take moisture from the air. They, they don't, do. you know, we water everything at ground level, yeah. Yeah. but creating that humidity. So, what's an easy way of creating some humidity? Um, Keeping them in aquariums or uh, an enclosure is a good way to do it. Um, that way you can have little atomizers or misters that are going to continually do that. Um, misting them like we talked about or having a tray of, uh, of water underneath them but them not sitting in the water. So having some rocks in rocks a tray or, of water so they lift, lift it the up. pot out of it mm. but um, that humidity is always being generated. Um, and we were talking earlier, bathrooms are great because there's mm. that, that humidity happening all the time, or at least on a daily basis, yeah. and it's quite warm at the same time. Yeah. So that suits them nicely. So, yeah, keeping them out of the cool, keeping that humidity up. Um, there are a couple of big things, keeping the bugs off them mm. uh, because spider mite and mealy bug will smash them really fast in an indoor situation. Mm. And spread to other plants. So. Oh, run wild, mm. yeah. But some of your bigger alocasias would be too difficult to have indoors. <laughs> Yours would, Ray. <laughs> yeah. that, Ray's got this one that keeps having babies mm. and the leaves... Well, they took up half your outdoor yeah, area, yeah, didn't yeah. they? It's very hard to walk past it. <laughs> so that's another group of alocasias, yeah. what they generally term the terrestrials, and um, they're the big guys. Yeah. Um, How do we look after them? Best? They're a much easier care yeah. plant because they come from um, situations where they're growing around creeks and streams. So they li- like having wet feet much more than the dual yes, alocasias. Yeah, they like a bog um, situation. They love a bog situation. Yeah. So a lot of those are much more unproblematic in Perth. Okay. Um, they can handle much cooler temperatures. Um, I grow Gagiana and Cucculata, and they don't drop their leaves over wintertime outside in the rain with wet feet. Wow. So they can handle a lot more abuse. Saying that in their group, Alocasias like Portii, 
I've never seen them growing well in Perth. It's just not warm enough for them year round. Okay. So I, sorry. Go ahead. You go, Ray. Oh no, I have what I assume to be an alocasia, a lime zinger. Yes. Yeah. How do I look? How's, okay. He's like he's handsome. He's been beautiful over summer. So lime zinger is actually a xanthosoma. So it's it's in the family, but yeah. it's it's not an alocasia. Right. They really look like them, and they behave very very Much similar like, to them. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Xanthosimas uh, and all the varieties of sagittifolium are quite easy to care for in Perth. Okay, okay, oh, There's good. so many different groups in there. Mm. What are we seeing coming through the hardware stores? Because I know they've yeah. kind of been just, um, you know, en masse. There's a lot of varieties. Uh, They're the ones I'm worried about for our listeners. Yeah, and, and again, the bulk of those are those dual alocasias. Okay. So uh, black velvet, dragon scales, uh, michelitzi. Those guys are all ultra-tropical plants that, that come from that limestone habitat. Um, and they're the ones that we really have problems with. All the terrestrial ones, like we were saying, e- they're easy. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, it does... Uh, I'd probably recommend a little bit of homework because they all come from different places and have got slightly different situations. Uh, I've seen a lot of Watsonianas come through as well lately. Uh, they're very, very beautiful. But, again, they're very difficult to care for year-round. And, and what people don't think of with alocasias is if you were to walk through where they grow in habitat during the dry season, you won't see a leaf. They'll all be asleep. Uh, and it's not until the rains begin again that they'll start to grow leaves and you'd notice them in the habitat as you move through it. So they're, they're not active year mm. round. Mm, okay, that is good to know. And you mentioned the caladiums too, because I think we've seen they more, certainly die down, don't they? Yeah, more interest with those. They're beautiful. They are so gorgeous, and they are so tricky. They are I've tricky. So many yeah. caladiums yeah. over the yeah, years. Yeah, haven't we all? Um, mm. uh, they're 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 probably not suited to Perth very well unless yeah. you're prepared to heat them through the winter time. Have the right conditions. So even just even just the cool of a house is probably too cold for them. Yeah. So what about a glass house, Ian? Glass houses, um, certainly if you can keep that temperature well above 15 degrees. Mm, that's um, hard, isn't it? Try not to yeah. let it get over 35 because then you have more problems. Um, but that's certainly the, the best situation for success. Good to know. Oh, my goodness. We've got our work cut out for us, haven't we? We sure do. <laughs> we're, we're lucky we've got so much choice, but with that choice, each one has a different demand. Mm, for sure. <laughs> All right. It's nine o'clock. Showers increasing, heading for a maximum today of 21. It is currently 18 degrees and the humidity has dropped to 64%. Overnight, you can expect a minimum of 11. Possible shower tomorrow with a maximum of 19. It will be cloudy. And on Monday, the minimum overnight will be 10. Possible shower on Monday too. And the maximum will be 22. So nice mild conditions coming our way. Now, I should also mention Curtain FM Radio is running a online survey. Now, what we are asking listeners to do is to go to our website, which is curtainfm.com.au, and on the home page, on the top right-hand corner, it says survey. If you click on there, uh, there's a little survey running at the moment, and we're asking listeners to participate, if they can, wanting to know what people are interested in, what sort of music they want to hear more of, less of. Uh, Lots of questions there for you to answer. And it helps us uh, going forward keep doing what we do and doing doing it better. So if you'd like to participate, and we really encourage you to do so, please go to curtainfm.com.au, 
right hand corner it says survey click on there and away you go for our online survey and uh, yeah you can uh, have a comment about anything that you like what do you think Faye? A, have a you done the survey or a compliment. have you uh, done the... nearly right <laughs> nearly <laughs> yeah so I've been Carry a bit on. busy. We've had some good gardening weather. It's mm. been Mother's Day. Oh, it's been so. a blur of things, mm. isn't it? I got a fern weeks. delivery the other day. What kind of fern delivery? Uh, ferns to put into my garden and, um. and placed appropriately so I wouldn't make a mistake. Oh, <laughs> would that be from John Benesevich? Yes, very okay. lucky I am. Well, you're extremely <laughs> lucky. And, and apparently um, he's got some begonias for me too. So, oh, yes, I'm, I'm very blessed. Openly jealous, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, good for you. 94841927. Ian McGregor in the studio with us. We have been talking about allocations. We're here to talk about everything. We are. Now, Ian is a passionate plants person. Yes. We met about 15 years ago, more. I think, didn't we? More yeah, than. quite a bit more. Oh. Yeah. Where so did you meet? Uh, or is that too, too hard? That's a good question, wasn't <laughs> it? I couldn't quite remember. Was, was it, it at um, a garden show? Yeah, you didn't do um, horticulture at uh, night school at the Curtin? I mean, at, um, at TAFE at any stage? Tuff, yes, yeah. and then I went on to lecture there. Yeah, mm. might have been uh, at that point. Could have been. So we, we've shared some plants over mm. the years, haven't we? we have Going been. back a long yes. time. <laughs> so what was that little one that you talked about at the last Aroid meeting that I had given that you? That is uh, Pinella tripartita. Oh, and that is a little Aroid. <laughs> it is. It's only a little guy. You know, I haven't got it now, Ian. I've got plenty left. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> plants that just keep on giving. And there, there are such a range. What are your other favourites? Uh, philodendrons and anthuriums are mm. really hard to beat if you're interested in aroids. Um, yes, we are. The, very... the range that's been available to us in the last three years has been Amazing. world class. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we've really got some beautiful, beautiful things over here. And uh, there's a lot of people that have really got a lot of interest in them now. 20 years ago when I first got interested in them, there was very few peers to share plants with and knowledge with, um, and we had to go to North Queensland to get that. Um, but now over here there's quite a lot of people that are interested and passionate and, and investing in them, um, and uh, some collections of note are really starting to rise up now. Wow, that's good to know. And there's a bit going on behind the scenes too, isn't there? Like I know you've always uh, been interested in propagating them and growing them, but do you have people growing them for you now too? Not necessarily. Um, I, with with my nursery, we focus on water plants, so we do grow quite a few aroids commercially, uh, and we do grow a couple of alocasias uh, in that range. Certainly, the the evergreen ones that um, that can handle the cold and and having wet feet all the time, they're plants that people can take home and have success with easily. So, what what are some of the easy easy to grow ones that people can easily access so when um, they're out shopping i've seen a lot of cuculata getting around or what they call buddha hands or buddha hands, hands. Mm -hmm. that's probably the easiest care one of the whole lot uh, it can handle the cold it's got interesting foliage they're good in pots they'll grow in the garden uh, i've got a huge clump down at the nursery in the garden uh, going gangbusters it's nearly a meter tall which is huge for that thing um uh, another one that's uh, very successful in Perth is Wentdi Eye, uh, and that's the plant in the photo that um, this listener has sent into us. Okay. Uh, and that's characteristic by being uh, an average-looking elephant ear, but when you flip the leaves upside down, they're very dark purple. Um, so the Wentdi Eye really stands out, uh, and I've seen that 
grown in ponds uh, in water all year round. Um, they look a bit ratty at the bottom of the winter time, um, but during the warm months, they look fantastic. Um, growing them in pots is probably the easiest way to handle them. Uh, what I do find with those sort of guys is in some situations, if you're having problems with the, um, the lawn beetle grubs, they'll also hit these things as well. Oh, so, that's interesting. Uh, um, being in a pot, they're probably a little bit easier to care for. Once they're out in the ground, those sort of pests can have access to them. Mm. So this email came in from Vicky. She said, love your show. Can I please ask Ian if there is any way I can plant this elephant's ear next to my camellia? It's been sitting next to the camellia in a pot for over an e- uh, over a year. It looks pretty good in the photo. Um, it's a, it's a hard one to sort of say distinctively whether you'd get a better result putting it in the ground over leaving it in a pot. Mm. Um, certainly it looks good in the photograph there. Um, I would think that if you were to uh, make a dig a good size hole, put a lot of good quality soil in that uh, and plant that thing in there and, and watch it over the, the first winter and summer, if you're happy with the results, continue. Mm. The good thing is these things are very easy to dig up if you weren't happy with it and you could repot it without any fuss. Now, would this one also sit in a pond? Yes. Yes, yes I've seen them growing okay. in ponds very nicely. And you have to be a bit careful, don't you, because they can take over. That one's not a problem. Okay. You're probably more concerned with colocasias because they grow that big runner that will run two or three metres in the summertime. Right. Um, so they can really make up some ground. Uh, Alocasias are all monopodal, so all the suckers come up at the base of them. They don't run anywhere. Mm. And they are good like that, aren't they? Mm. Like easy to share because they, they will multiply. Yeah. And it's not hard to get the little corms off them, and, uh, and that's something that you can uh, pass around to your friends, and, and mm. they'll grow again the following summer. The corms, little bulbs. They grow. Some species, like the the big terrestrials, will grow a little ring of corms uh, as they're going dormant or going into their cooler season. Uh, and you can just knock them off with your thumb, and um, uh, or when you repot them, you'll probably find them falling out. And and um, uh, if you were to uh, screen them and wash them, mm. you'll find all these little bulbs um, in the soil. So if say, uh, asking for a friend here, you dug up mm-hmm. a Dranuncular vulgaris mm-hmm. and damaged the corn, mm-hmm. will it keep growing? I would fungicide it straight away. If you damaged okay. it, um, that should be enough to save it. Hmm. Um, because they're, uh, they've got that skin over them, we're concerned about water drying out from a cut or fungus getting in from a cut. So uh, dry them out, fungicide them, and you'll be fine. And for people that don't know, Dranuncula vulgaris is the uh, acarian flower. Yes, it's, it's a, a dead animal mimic. <laughs> mm, the <laughs> fragrance. We, mm. The fragrance is perfect dead rat. Mm, um, moist. I, I'm always surprised uh, how amazingly accurate that is. It's, yeah. um, mm. it's, it's not dead anything else, it's dead rat. Yeah. Dead rat. And so the spade is about 40 centimetres yes, long yes. with the spadix probably Not 20 to 30. Same. Yeah. And it's a long elongated flower yep. that opens, you know, like that, a peace lily. but Unpleasant purple livery colour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually when I did dig it up, it had lots of little babies. Yes, so they're quite I, generous. I you had, like yours, Faye? Oh, I love it. We had one that was given to Eddie many years ago and it flowers in the same space every year and I got excited about my aroids and started digging it up 
and then we really missed it being in that spot. So it's been planted back but. there because we're, we're just used to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it belongs there. Yeah. I noticed mine just starting to wake up this week. So yes. um, off they go again. Yep. All right. We've got a phone call coming through, but also I'd like to touch on the fertiliser program as well of Alocasias. All right, let's head to Kingsley. Liz, hi. Hi, Faye. Um, Listen, I've got a problem. I've got a tree fern that's probably about four years old, four or five years old, and it got really, you know, it struggled through summer this year, but it's looking very sad at the moment. Is there any way of... Helping it, you know, with desol or any of the other stuff. Do um, you know what type of tree fern it is, Liz? Uh, no. Okay. Bought from one of the local stores or the fern show? Yeah, no, no, but bought from one of the local stores. Okay, all right. Uh, does it have any canopy at all, like anything that will give it shelter? Uh, oh, just a little bit. It's got a, a pencil pine that'll give it a little bit of shelter. That's about all. Okay, all right. I'm um, trying to encourage a um, frangipani to... I'm sort of trying to encourage that frangipani to grow up. It's starting to, to take off a little bit, so that will give it a little bit of a canopy. Okay. So I would just cut away any uh, finished fronds, any brown fronds, and yes. give it a layer of uh, compost... Uh, mulch, uh, even, you know, you could use sheep manure that's been aged or something from your worm farm. And oh, okay. So that it, its roots are protected, but also so that it gets a little bit of a feed through the winter. Um, yeah, yeah. You can use a slow-release fertiliser, and yeah. but because it's going cool now, that that wouldn't be such benefit. I tend to do that more in the springtime. And, of course, uh, drinks of seaweed or fish fertiliser. All right. No worries. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'll get on to that today. I was just very sad to see it deteriorating as fast as it did. I've got two others and they're doing fine. It's just that particular one. Oh, Liz, no. you're not alone. Look, we had such a, a hot, harsh summer that yeah. many of us lost the tops of... Uh, ferns and palms the good news is they do recover very well just look for the the new croziers coming i've i've got tree ferns putting out new fronds this week so oh beautiful i will do i'll go very i've been giving it a lot of water but i don't know whether that's the right thing to do but i'll i think i'll give it some seaweed or something and and definitely a mulch protect the roots because they do have shallow roots and they're quite close to the surface Okay, beautiful. Thank you, Faye. You're welcome. Have a good day. Bye. See you, Liz. Bye for Bye. now. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. Our special guest this morning, Ian McGregor, and we have been talking about alocasias. And as I mentioned just before uh, we spoke to Liz, I was wondering about how you look after these types of plants. What's the fertilizer care program? Um, d- during their growing season, which is um, our summer, yes, um, any sort of fertilizer is 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 quite acceptable. That as long mm. as they're getting some nutrition, mm. that's that's probably they're the happy. main thing to consider. What we need to be mindful of is is understanding when these things are going to stop growing at the end of their season. Any fertilizer is wasted. Wasted. Um, mm. What I'd probably touch on at this stage, for certainly for this sort of time of the year. If you see your alocasia starting to fold or, or disintegrate, a, uh, a dressing of fungicide is probably an insurance policy worth a try. Okay. Um, we, we, we're not going to stop the rot 
that's on the foliage, mm. you know, that's history pretty much. What we're trying to do is protect that stem. Mm. Uh, and if we yeah. can keep that stem alive over the, the cool season, we're going to grow a plant again mm. in the summertime and, and probably get a whole bunch more of them as well. Because mm. um, the, the, the main bud on that bulb may not activate, but there'll be a ring of little bulbs around that that will. And uh, instead of getting one big plant, you'll get eight, 10, 15 small ones that you can pot up and, um, and spread around. Mm. So uh, trying to keep that bulb alive during the off season is the trick. And, um, and like we were saying, keeping them dry, um, getting them out of the irrigation, um, keeping them humid because those bulbs can dehydrate and die as well. So we're running that fine line of keeping them humid but not wet uh, and keeping them dry and warm. So we like talk, little babies, aren't they? Well, we talked uh, just quickly in the break about how to keep them over winter, and I suggested maybe treating them like a bulb. Absolutely. But you said keep them in a warm environment, where a lot of our bulbs we put into a cool, dry environment. Ours need to be in a warm, dry environment. Yes. yes. So under an area perhaps that's uh, got clear roof sheeting yes, yes. Um, you might have the, have plants like uh, cactus yes. in the same area where you want to keep them dry yeah. yep. and so these guys might go under for a bench a, lower down of time, dry and they, warm they don't need sun they just need to be warm dry and humid yeah okay all right look i think we'll have a short break and when we return we're chatting with chris about liquid fertilizers Twenty-one minutes after nine, you're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening, and we're here till ten a.m. this morning. So you've got forty minutes left to get your questions in to the experts, Fayakara and Ian McGregor, with us this morning. Straight out to the lines, we're in Butler. Chris, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Yeah, we are all very well, thank you. good, Chris. How can we help you? Um, I've got about a thirty-litre container full of, um, it's a mixture of sheep, cow and chicken manure made into a liquid fertiliser. Sounds delicious. <laughs> now when I, um, when I put it on the garden, should I uh, dilute it? How, well, 30 litres, yes, I think you probably should. Um, usually they say, to, until it looks like tea. So you get it. Do you know what I'm saying? You dilute well, it until it looks I, like uh, tea. Mine, when I put it in my uh, watering can, looks like uh, a very dark uh, coffee. Yeah. So the only thing you have to worry about really is that you're not burning the plants. Uh, and I think with what you've done, you probably won't anyway. But I would dilute what you've got. To what uh, percentage? 50-50? One to four, Ian says. One to four. Okay, and another question. I've got a, uh, a 2.5 by 90 by 250 raised garden bed. What sort of vegetables could I uh, grow in that over the winter period? Sorry, can you t give me those measurements again, please? 2.5 long. Yep. 900 wide or 90 wide. Yes. And... 25 high. 25 centimetres? Yep, 250. Mil. Okay, all right. Um, so I think normally they talk about 
being in the top 30 centimetres for, for a lot of plants. Um, I probably wouldn't worry too much about carrots in that depth, but beetroot would be fine, any of your brassicas, uh, any of your onions, uh, and mixing it up so there's a bit of variety. You could do your Asian greens, you could do silver beet, uh, you could even throw some flowers in there. Uh, or herbs. So I have got some um, baby beets growing at the moment. Okay. Yep. Um, and um, I'm not sure if it's the right time for garlic, but I've got one garlic plant. Yes, perfect. Yep. I've, well, you could put more garlic in for sure. Broad beans. Oh, it, right. They will add nitrogen to the soil, so put them yep. next to something like spinach, but also put them on the south side so you're not shading the rest of the vegetables and best yep. of all chris grow plants that you like to eat yes <laughs> that's a big one isn't it well i i i grow plants that um, i maybe not like to eat but i have the enjoyment of growing them and i give them away to neighbors yeah oh nice well i tell you what one of my favorites is the rainbow chard because it looks mm. so pretty with the different stems of red and yellow and orange and you can use the leaves uh you can feed them to your chickens you can make frittatas and and just side dishes with just the greens lots of uses yeah okay then all right thank you thank for you your very call. Much. have You're fun welcome. chris have you too Bye. 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 You can hear the birds. Yes. <laughs> we sure can. Yeah, so, but a lovely sound, birds twittering in the background. I think, you know, the way that the pricing of uh, fruit and veg is going, I think there'll be so many more people attempting to grow their own mm, for food. Sure. What do you think? Well, it's so, <clears throat> it's so easy. It's mm. educational. You yeah. learn. I mean... We know the benefits of, of being out in nature, don't yeah. we? And, and yeah. if you've got uh, plants that you have to go out and pick, whether it's broad beans, peas, mm. beans, etc., it's just joyful to be out there. It's frustrating, of course, if something gets to it. Uh, Very. But then yeah. rewarding when you see birds come through. Yeah. But I just think, yeah, people will be looking more closely at growing some of their own food. Simple things like lettuces. Exactly. You know, the price of those is crazy. It, it is, yeah, just your basics. They, yeah. They'll grow fantastic this time of the year. You don't need to pick the whole head. You can no. pull the leaves mm. off if you only want small yeah. amounts. Yeah, But uh, no, as, as we know, prices have gone through the roof and continuing. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's, if there is an uh, inspiration, that's it, I think. Okay. And speaking about problems in the garden, <laughs> Judy from Trig has sent in a photo of her lemon and lime trees. And... Uh, the new growth is distorted and crumpled and there are squiggly lines in it which is evident of citrus leaf miners, yeah. which is a tiny little moth that comes and lays its egg between the layers of the leaf and the, the larvae wriggles its way through uh, distorting the leaves. So you can use citrus leaf miner traps. Uh, you may have to get them online. You can cut off the distorted foliage and, and clean up the plant that way. Uh, and at the appropriate time, because they tend to come in when the leaves are new, keep a lookout when there's new growth. And if you wanted, you could give it a spray then, something like eco oil. The moth is less likely to lay its egg where there's a, a coating on the surface. Film. Yeah. 
And we have a troublesome hedge. Oh, we do. That yeah. is, well, it's a little bit difficult to identify what it is, but we tend yeah. to think that it could be Ptosporum, but could also be Privet. Yeah. Uh, either way, it it doesn't look good. Jeremy, I think you need to do a bit more investigation as to what's going on underneath. Uh, it. Has the watering failed at some stage? How long ago did it die? A little bit of investigative work wouldn't wouldn't go astray. Uh, I would also run my hand across the hedge that is doing okay and just see if any bugs fly out. Mm. So before it died or before all the leaves went brown, was there any sign of attack? Because there's a few pests that out there at the moment there's uh, hedges. thrips and there are tiny little moths laying eggs the caterpillars again uh, so yeah see what you can find out that way when, when you're pulling that old, old dead plant out you might be able to do an autopsy on the stem to see if there's any borers in uh, in, in, um, in it um, at that time mm, or what's happened at the roots it's it's probably been going off for a while mm. and you know, who knows when it was pruned. If it was pruned at an inappropriate time and the new growth appeared and coincided with really hot weather, it could have burnt and and not recovered. Uh, so look for signs of new growth as well. If you did a bit of a cutback, if it is truly dead, it won't regrow. But if you cut back into some harder wood, you may find that it comes back with the rains now uh it it's not looking too good you know sometimes things have a use by date too and uh might be permission to go and get yourself uh, a new hedge yeah absolutely but now we you... we talked about the problems with hedges and yeah. you know when if one goes then it just oh, yeah you it's just hard work can be hard work it sure is now you've got an email as well ian Okay, yes, we've got a, a little stingray plant from Kay that um, is looking a little bit yellow and uh, um, showing obvious signs of the, the season turning on it. So the stingrays, they, they've been quite popular too, haven't they, they in, the, in the stores? So they're a mutation that, um, that that came out in a batch of tissue culture, I believe. Oh. And um, they were picked up and, and ran with because they're so um, crazy looking, I suppose. Yeah, they are. Um, so what I'd be recommending for Kay is now is the time to uh, let this thing dry out a little bit. Um, certainly keep it out of the elements as best you can. Um, a, a application of fungicide would probably help the plant go into dormancy. Um, and I wouldn't expect too much out of that until um, probably mid to late spring next year. Um, this they, year. So all the season, the next yep. season coming. Yep. So uh, um, we've got uh, three or four months of not much happening. Um, and when we start to see new growth, it's time to uh, bring it out, uh, fertilise it, re resume regular watering um, and expect it to do quite well from that point. So are they a plant that will die down? Absolutely they are. Right. And see, this is the thing, you know, yeah, people so go I've, out now and they, they, they buy these plants, plants and, yeah. Think it's dead? Um, I think uh, consumers need to be a little bit careful that uh, a lot of these things, and especially dual ladder cases, they're almost on a terminal trajectory. Most mm. people are going to take them home and kill them. Uh, being able to, get to, to 
be patient enough and understanding to know that this plant's going to go to sleep yeah. and wake up the following season. A lot of people don't have that patience for indoor plants and they'll Quite get right. the boot way before that point. Yeah. Well, it's not it's not just um, philodendrons and aroids. Uh, it also, things like the rosella plant that mm. I see for sale that I know will die down in, in the cool, wet weather and people don't know that. Mm. So they mm. they might pay good money for it now and it doesn't live through yeah. to spring. So mm. We see a lot of it with water lilies as well. They mm. go to sleep completely. There's not a leaf to be seen. Most people think, oh, they're finished and throw them out and we'll get a, we'll get the, our clients come back and say, I need some more water lilies. I threw that last <laughs> lot out. They died. Mm. Oh. <laughs> yes. So we educate them and, uh, and once they know what to expect, uh, people are a lot more relaxed about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's ferns that die down too. Mm. <laughs> Indeed there are. All right, we're in Dawesville. We're talking about mango. Ray, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? We are going well. Thank you, Ray. No, nah, that's very good. Look, I've got a simple question. Many years ago, though, I bought a scrawny plant from the big green store and stuck it in the ground, and it was called a mango tree, and it's gone ballistic. Oh, well done. Sorry, what was the question? I want to know how to trim my mango tree. I'll trim it. Mm. Well, it back a bit. It's getting out of control. Oh, okay. Would you do that now? No, I probably Ian? wouldn't hit it this time of year. Uh, I'd wait till mid-spring before you'd um, uh, step into it. Because of fungal issues? Um, well, they're tropical trees. They're um, they're at their. If you were to cut it now, it probably won't be able to react mm. well enough to protect itself from the fungal infection. Yeah. Um, yeah, give it a, a few more months for the next season, Ray, uh, when things are starting to warm up and you notice new growth, uh, those purple new uh, leaves, you can start selecting which branches can stay and which branches can go from that point. Okay, so I wait about, what, September sometimes? Yes, that'd be about right. Sometimes the leaves get a rusty edge on them. What's causing that? Uh, in Dawesville, that could be windburn for you. Um, uh, the the or, or salt coming off. I don't know how close to the water you are, um, but they certainly don't like hot, dry wind. Oh, okay. All right then. Thank you very much. Thanks for your Thanks. call, Ray. Cheers, Ray. Yeah. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. And we're getting lots of emails coming in today as well. And we, our we, email address is gardening at curtainfm dot com dot au. Okay, oh. you too. Here's one that came in from Andrea, just listening to the lady about her lemon tree. Twice she mentioned the lower branches, if you could call it that. Just a suggestion, it may have rootstock shooting off. And that's <coughs> I thought that too. why mm. they're green. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. Depending on how low they exactly. are, exactly. if they're coming from mm. below the graft, yes. they could be rootstock. So. Yeah. And a, a lot of people aren't aware of that, are they? No. You know, if you buy a, a citrus tree and you put it in the ground, you may have one part that the growth looks a little bit different and it may well be more vigorous. But if you can trace that down, if it's coming from below the graft at the bottom, then you need to tear it away. Yeah. If you cut Watch it... Watch for the spines. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. If, if yeah. you cut Nasty. it, you're in effect pruning it and then you will encourage new growth. If you can tear it away, like push it down with your foot and it tears from the trunk, it shouldn't regrow. Yeah. Okay. Mulch over it. Mm. All right. Let's go to Adderdale. We're saying hello to Don. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? We're all good here. Thank you. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, I've just purchased or assembled a tumble uh, compost bin from uh, Bunnings, uh, top of a range bin, and I'm new to composting, and I thought I'd just ask what's the um, best way to set the bin up. Okay, so is it on a stand and you turn it when it's full and is that the style? Uh, yes. Yep, okay. It's, got the, uh, yeah, it's a tumble one. You've got a handle on the side and it's got the two sections so you can have one, two sides going. Okay, all right. All right, the principle will be the same, Don, because um, I've got an old Osborne Metal Industries one that's plastic <laughs> and, and I would put um, leaf litter in it. I'd put food scraps in it. Uh, you're looking for a mix of brown and green and you you keep filling it up, building it in layers. You can put in dust from the vacuum as long as you haven't vacuumed up any glass, uh, hair, lint from the dryer, mm. anything like that, that, anything organic that will break down. And okay. then the day to close it up once it's full is the day you mow your lawns. And then you put all your lawn clippings in. They're hot. They're full of moisture. And you start turning it. And you turn it 10 times every day for two weeks. And at the end of that, you should have some good, warm, broken down compost to spread on your garden. And if it's not fully broken down, that doesn't matter so much because it will continue to break down. Uh, it, it's just a case of getting your your balance right. You can also put in some manures. So you could put in some palletized chook manure. Um, you could put in sheep manure. Just about anything that you'd put in your garden. Blood and bone. How does that sound? Okay. Yeah, and uh, what about uh, worms? Do you need to uh, put one of these? Because I've got all these uh, worm bags at uh, Bunnings. Uh they're two polar opposites in my mind because your compost in a tumbler will get so hot, I think it would cook your worms. Okay. Yeah. So basically just start building it up from the bottom up with uh, with all the layers, but don't worry about turning it until I get some grass in there and, and, and it's start. Yeah, and it's full and... Once you've got the hang of that, I mean, if it is too dry, you can sprinkle it with a bit of water. Uh, but the benefit of the lawn clippings is the moisture will drip out of them and uh, it'll be hot and humid in there and it will cook. And you might then think about doing a, a worm farm separately to grow your worms. Terrific. Thank you very much. All right. Enjoy that. Yeah, good very fun. exciting. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, Don. Cheers. Bye. Yes, no. Um, compost bins, way to go. Mm. All right. Now, we will be going to a break shortly. We've got about a minute I can give you. Oh, well. <laughs> Garden Club. The last word on allocasias. Okay, go um, on. Uh, doing my homework, I found a nice little uh, nugget of information. It's easier for an allocasia to recover from being dry than it is to recover from rotting being too wet. Very good. So yeah. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I found that a lot of these tropical style plants out in our gardens, they'll tolerate cold and dry. Yes. They won't tolerate cold and wet. Correct. Uh huh. Okay. We'll be back shortly. Curtain Radio. 
You're with Let's Talk Gardening. Appreciate your company this morning. Special guest in the studio, Ian McGregor from Water Garden Life. Tell us a little bit about that, Water Garden Life. Water Garden Life. Yeah. Well, that that um, sums up my attitude a little bit. <laughs> I've been in the water gardening industry for 30 years and mm. um, it's my lifestyle. Um, yeah. I've always loved it, since it's, even since it's being a child, driving my parents crazy with aquariums and ponds. Um, we thought that uh, that describes it quite well. Yeah, so it's intrinsic within yeah. you. Yes, yeah. Um, I've been doing it for uh, 30 plus years and my mother laughs at me that I get paid to play. Oh, oh <laughs> there is no better way, yeah, to be paid to, to for play. your passion. Yeah, yeah. My goodness, that's the ultimate. Yep. Um, I, I, when I was staff, I'm the owner now, so every day's a, a work day, but when I was staff... After two weeks of holidays, I couldn't wait to get, get back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, beautiful. There's a, a whole world in a pond, isn't there, there is, Ian? There is, yes. Yeah. There's so many disciplines. So we do koi, um, and, and that's a world on its own. Um, to understand koi is a crash course in learning Japanese. <laughs> um, uh, there's, a, there's a show circuit in Perth with a, a lot of very passionate enthusiasts. Um, and um, they're growing world-class fish out there. So uh, Western Australia is a big player in, in that scene. So you wouldn't know. We wouldn't know that. No, it's just amazing. It, it's it's yeah. a little subculture that, um, yeah. that unless you've been exposed to it, you wouldn't yeah, know it exists. You wouldn't know it existed. Um, mm. We also uh, are very deep into goldfish production. We, we grow quite a few varieties. Um, most of the, the fish that we produce are easier care, um, generalised fish that would be successful in most garden ponds some goldfish like celestials and bubble eyes they're they're bred in labs <laughs> they're selected very very hard they've gone a little bit too far in that selection in my opinion um, so we don't encourage that sort of stuff um, there's plenty of beautiful fish in in, in the group of goldfish to uh, to suit everybody mm. um, Probably haven't got the cult following that koi have in Perth, mm. um, but there's a lot of people that love their ponds, and and I've, I've got clients who spend a lot of their leisure time just sitting there and watching the action take place in front of them. Yeah, absolutely, very relaxing. How big a pond do you need for koi? Koi probably want a minimum of two thousand liters, which is two cubic meters of water. Um, they don't like ponds that are shallower than thirty centimeters. Yeah, um, deeper the better for koi. Deeper the better. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, with koi, because they can grow to be very large fish. I've seen sure meter long koi. Huge. Um, you need a uh, a pump and filter that acts as a sewage treatment plant for them. So every time you feed them, all that waste goes into the water and it needs to be dealt with. So biofilters will metabolise those wastes and stop the build of, of waste to become toxic. So uh, uh, biofilters are, are, are essential for a koi pond okay. for success, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, the bigger the body of water, the less that applies. So when we've got ponds over sort of 25, 30,000 litres or, or small lakes, you can get by without filtering those guys because of the volume of water so large. Yeah, it's it's a balance of how many fish you have, how much you're feeding those fish, and how well the filtration can um, take up those nutrients that they're producing and and deal with it and make them uh, non toxic. Yeah, yeah, keep everything healthy. Mm. So a lot of people worry about mosquitoes breeding yes. in ponds, mm-hmm. don't they? Yes. What's um, what do we need to know about a that? Simple way to stop mosquitoes is. Add a fish. 
any yeah. sort of fish. It yeah. doesn't have to be a koi. It doesn't have to be goldfish. There are lots of little cold water fish species available, uh, and any one of them will make short work of mosquitoes. Oh, give us a uh, list, Ian. My favourites are rainbow fish. Uh, yeah. We grow two types of rainbow fish out there. Rainbow fish are Australian uh, native fish. Um, the ones that we have the best success with are the, the species called Fluvitilis that crum, comes from the Murray River. So the, 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 um, they occur in Victoria and South Australia, so Western Australia is in their zone. Um, mosquitoes do not have a chance in hell with rainbow fish in the water. Um, they're very, very fast. They're very, very slim and sleek. Um, and uh, I uh, used to have them in my pond at home and uh, I had a spotlight over the pond, and you know how mosquitoes come and bounce on the surface of the water? Yep. The rainbow fish would line them up because the spotlight would backlight them. The rainbow fish would jump a full body length out of the water and catch these things <laughs> on the wing. So? Yeah. Um, but uh, any fish will make short work of mosquitoes. Mm, that's good to know. And of course, at this time of year with rainfall, one of the biggest breeding grounds where you can't have fish is in sources. So probably a good time to move sources away from your pot plants. Look out for any lids or upturned containers that might be catching water. Self-watering pots are also quite oh, good for dear. those things. Uh, if you've got a little inspection hole on the side, yeah. shove a plastic bag in there. Yeah. Um, the, the action still works. If you need to inspect it, just pull it out. But yeah. it stops the adult mosquitoes getting in there and laying eggs. Mm -hmm. We did talk about self-watering pots last week, didn't we? We did, we did. Mm, for mm. and against. Yeah, so yeah. so mm. uh, they're great for plants. They can also be great for mosquitoes if you let them. Right, hadn't thought of that mm, one. Mm. Okay, so what are your favourite plants or what's happening now? What's happening now? Um, uh, unfortunately, we're, uh, we're going into uh, winter now, so all the summer growing plants, all the tropical plants, which um, I'm very passionate about, are sort mm. of uh, going out of their active season. Uh, I do muck around with um, quite a lot of winter growing bulbous arrowids at the mm. moment. The, so pinella that we were talking about earlier, that's a summer growing bulbous arrowid. There's a whole bunch of winter growing ones. So we talked about Dracunculus, which is was probably the most dramatic of them, um, but there's uh, arums, by arums, um, there's uh, a whole bunch of unusual little things. They're, they're quite rare in Perth. I haven't seen many mm. of them in local collections. Um, and uh, they're all waking up just right now. So I've picked up a few over the last couple of years. Are they flowering ones, Ian, uh, or are they most foliage? Most of them have a very interesting spathe flower. A lot of them, um, and I've had a biarum do it this year, the flower comes up and runs through its course before the foliage arrives. Right. So you've got a pot with this unusual flower sticking out of nowhere. Mm. Um, it'll run its course and die down. And um, as it's sort of folding, um, you can see the new foliage start to grow and it'll uh, fill out, uh, grow for three or four months. And, um, and then like these um, tropical alocasias appear to fall apart and die, they're, they're just going dormant for their season and um, they'll be back the following year. They'll be back. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. Very quiet morning on the phone front. If you'd like to get a call in between now and 10am, please do so, 94841927. Otherwise, we will continue to 
keep you entertained with uh, so much information from uh, fabulous Ian McGregor. It's been really interesting talking to you this morning. Well, there's a there's a whole world out there and uh-huh. a change of every season. So, yeah, aroids for every season, which is, is good news. Is, so where can people uh, buy, buy these plants that you're talking about? Um, um, I've found very few of them available in Perth. Um, it is a it is mostly I've I've found them in passionate plant collections. Uh, people who just grow things that they like without any sort of need to be disciplined about what varieties mm-hmm. they're getting into. They grow what takes their fancy. Um, there's quite a lot of people out there like that, and I'm discovering new hobbyists all the time that grow all sorts of strange and unusual things. Um, the best success personally that I've had is being members of plant clubs. Yes. Um, uh, I've been a member of the Parman Cycad Society, the Bromeliad Society, uh, the International and the Australian Aroid Society. <coughs> and uh, once you start getting into that and, and being passionate with, uh, talking passionately with passionate people, yeah, all this information to... flows. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, there is no end of surprises in Perth Gardens, I would argue, yeah. at this stage. Yeah. Um, I have been importing a lot of plants from, from the eastern states and, and they're mostly from dedicated collectors and, and society people and, and I'm meeting them through societies and, and Facebook groups. So what type of plants do you import? Um, the, the, my latest craze has been um, some of the, the bulbous amaryllis from South Africa. Uh, Masonias, Brunsvigias, that sort of group of plants I've found fantastic. Hemanthus is another one in that group with the, the big elephant ear or ox tongue lilies. Um, oh, it's mine funny you say that. fantastically this, this autumn mm. and they're just starting to push their uh, crazy looking foliage now. What, what I've found amazing is the diversity in that group is huge. Mm. Um, I got a book, the Amaryllis of South Africa, just recently, and I've been transfixed with that thing. The the amount and the diversity of plants that are that are in the deserts in South Africa are, mm. are, are unbelievable. Mm. And uh, we haven't seen the the tip of the iceberg in Western Australia in, that, in so? that particular group of plants at great? the moment. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Clinton Radio. And we're going straight out to the lines. We are in Bentley. Lynn, good morning. Good morning. I'm just uh, wondering about my camellias. I've got six in pots and they're quite mature. And I'm just wondering whether I need to protect them from the rain. Like, do they like wet feet or should I just leave them out? I've never really been concerned before, but when I rang last week and spoke about um, the side of one plant, I was just wondering, you know, should I leave them... They're under a patio and they get the rain as it comes or should I just bring them right in and just water them? Oh, Lynn, uh, I... They need it? Yeah, I think for easy care, I would just leave them out in the rain. Um, they're in a pot, they should be fine as long as the pot is big enough and they're in good mix, which knowing you, I'm sure they are. Uh, the only thing is that the, the rain could spoil them when the flowers are coming out. So. so the only thing I'm really concerned about is the roots. So never been concerned before, but I did get a bit of a fright when that uh, lovely camellia dried out a bit, and it's surviving one half of it. I haven't cut it or anything, but I thought, oh my goodness, uh, the roots might get damaged. They might get waterlogged. So I was just wondering your opinion. 
I, I don't think so because it'll be in good quality potting mix and they yeah, will drain yeah. and the foliage will uh, just filter the water down into the pot. So, no, I just put them out in the rain and let them do their thing. Well, I've always done it and they've all got buds on them, so oh, that's good. That's Okay, dear, thank you. Enjoy them. Okay, well, bye, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. See uh, you, bye. Let's go to Warwick. We're chatting with Hazel. Good morning. Good morning. I rang earlier in the year, in the spring, I think it was, a, a question about a Cape myrtle, that the edges of the leaves looked as if the sun had burnt them. And then um, the, the tree is about two, coming up three years old, but it's never really done anything. So uh, I was advised to, to look at the roots. Now, you often say this to people about, you know, get down and have a look at the roots. But if you're getting down to look at the roots, then you're disturbing the tree. So I just wondered if you could expand on that. And since last week, I've moved it to another part of the garden because it was doing the same thing, new leaves coming on, then the edges would all look burned and eventually fall off. And it just wasn't doing anything. So I decided to move it to a different area of the garden because I just didn't know what was wrong with it. But unfortunately, when my handyman moved it for me, I wasn't around to examine the roots. But what are we looking for if we dig down? And aren't we disturbing the tree and upsetting it? (laughs) Well, yes. Um, And the best time to transplant a deciduous tree will be when it's dormant, which is when it's lost all of its leaves. That's what I thought. It was losing leaves now. It's starting to lose the leaves now, so that's why I've shifted it. Okay. I would have waited until it's lost all of its leaves. That will be it. It's lost all of its leaves because because of the problem with the edges of the leaves dying off, then it just wasn't doing anything. I guess that could be a a wind issue, but also potentially... No, no wind. It's in their garden where it's not too far from the fence and it doesn't get any wind. And this is a crepe myrtle, is it? Myrtle, a lovely crepe myrtle. I've got one in the front garden that gets loads and loads of wind, but the one in the back wouldn't get any wind. Anyway, it's now being moved to the opposite side of the garden where, again, it won't get any wind. And I thought, well, we'll see what happens in the spring. Mm, Okay, and I presume it's gone into uh, a a nicely prepared soil, Hazel? I got the the, uh, handyman to put the remains of a bag of the... um, Oh, you know, the stuff you buy in a bag that's been to enrich the soil. Soil improver or, or something designed yeah. specially. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I guess all we can do is wait. Uh, in springtime, I would give it slow-release fertiliser. In the meantime, yeah. uh, a seaweed solution to help it settle. Uh, and, and now what we're looking for is for it to grow new roots Yep. And put on some new so shoes. I'd also wonder about the pH being in Warwick uh, and and being in probably an alkaline soil. Yeah. Now the other another question this morning you mentioned about a lemon tree that could have different coloured um, veins in the leaf. Now I've got uh, two camellias that suddenly last year developed. Only on certain branches, not not all of it, just certain branches would have 
different coloured creamy looking veins. Is this a pH problem? It would be a uh, trace element problem. So yeah. uh, addressing of trace elements um, so uh, should I've got, solve that. I've got some fertiliser that I got for my um, blueberries um, that I can throw around, which, is, which should have the right pH, isn't that right? It certainly wouldn't hurt hazel. I would, um, I would certainly recommend that. Um, and, and should I do it now or is it too late? Um, I think the, the active growth's pretty much over for a lot of these things, but um, uh, some trace elements will stick around in the soil and, um, and stay there ready for the next growing season. Um, but okay, so I can throw I that round, but I've got two doing it, so I'll do it round the two. Yeah. I've had them for years and years. They've been in the same... Oh, it must be, oh, 15 years old at least. I'd also recommend, I'd also yeah. recommend uh, investigating what Faye was talking about with soil pH. Um, they're famous for wanting acid soil, and Perth's famous for having alkaline soil. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Hazel, we have to move on. Thank you so much. Thank che you cheers, for your help. Cheers Bye. for now. And we're in Mandra talking about old man's beard. I love old <laughs> man's beard. Hi, Paul. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, Hi. good, thanks, Paul. Hey, um... I've got to go away for a little while. I've got some old man's beard sitting under the eaves. Um, would you recommend I stick it under shade cloth and let the uh, rain do what it does or leave it on the eaves? Yep, I would. I would just hang it out under a tree, actually, but yep. under shade cloth's fine, I'd, so it gets I'd agree good to with rain. That. Yep, easy are one of my favourites. I love those things. Um, Paul, I keep my Spanish moss out in the garden year-round. Um, can't I, get too wet. Can't get too wet this time of the year. Um, as long as they're out in the breeze, they'll dry off very, very quickly. Put it in a breezy spot where the rain will reach it. Oh, beautiful. Thanks for Good your on. call, Paul. Easy to find Thank in Mandra, that. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Cheers. Okay, just to wrap up, Faye, everything's... Thank you, Ian. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I love right. coming in here with you girls. It's a great day. Thank All right. You. Thanking Bev Daring, John Glidden, and so much. Thank you to Ian McGregor for your wisdom this My morning pleasure. and knowledge. Wow. We have to get you back again, of course. Uh, My gardenism for the morning is autumn mornings, sunshine and crisp air, birds and calmness, year's end and day's beginnings. I think that describes autumn perfectly. George Minoldi's up next with the classic 60s till, till 12 noon. And then we go country with Brendan T and Born in Boots. Everyone, enjoy this beautiful autumnal weather, this gorgeous rain. Do look after yourselves. Keep safe. Everyone's back next week. I'm away next week. So Gillian Bush will be in the chair for me. Okay, everybody, take care. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.